If you have your Bibles this morning, let's uh, turn back to the book of Proverbs. And, uh, you know, I, I uh, about 20, oh, I don't know, 20, 21, 22 years ago, I, uh, I went through the book of Proverbs, probably um, as I was going through all the books of the Bible, uh, verse by verse, and, and detailing it out and laying it all out. And <clears throat> at that point in time, I, uh, I saw how absolutely relevant it was to my life and everything in it and how important it was. And um, I, I went through and, and detailed out every chapter, every, every verse, every, uh, and I went through it like I'm giving it with you through the paragraph marks. I saw that, that's how it laid out. And followed the outline that I've given you. And, you know, I, I really thought that uh, for the most part, I, I had a, at least a fundamental grasp on the book of Proverbs. Uh, it was always a book that, that will always be out of my reach as far as wanting it the way I really want it. But uh, I was content with it that I, was, I got what God had given me. But I got to tell you, you know, going through the book of Proverbs, and I, I don't know how much you've enjoyed it or how much... Uh, you, you, you know, a lot of people wanted to do it when we when we started to do it. But I think again, it's it's like going through it this time, uh, and I'm going through it this time completely different than I went through it last time. Last time I was going through it for me. This time I'm going through it, put it into a preaching format, uh, and yet <clears throat> it's just like it's opening up so many things that that I never saw. You know, the, the, the gap between 21, 22 years with other things that you learn, and then you go back and you look at something, the insight, you know, it just develops itself completely different. So, you know, I, it's been a great thing so far for me. And I, Every week I can't wait for Monday morning to sit down and start cracking the next set of paragraph marks. And today we're going to do that. We're going to look at our next set of paragraph marks. This is the way we've been coming through it. And we're going to look at several more uh, good, solid biblical principles uh, on the classic theme of, of getting the knowledge of God. And you remember, I told you, that's really what uh, the book of Proverbs is all about. I know there's a doctrinal application. I got it. <clears throat> I know there is a historical application. I get it. But from a practical, spiritual standpoint, it's the greatest book in the Bible that illustrates to us what we have to do if you want to get to that point in your life where you really see life and everything in it from God's standpoint. You know, it, it doesn't take a rocket scientist today uh, to see that there's something terribly wrong in Christianity today. Uh, you can see it uh, all over the place. Two of the greatest attributes of being saved, uh, a saved person, uh, you know, is the happiness and the contentment that comes from, from being a Christian. I mean, I would think we would all agree that the characteristics of being a child of God, I would think we would all agree on this, should be in stark contrast to, uh, to what the world offers. And unfortunately today, the two have come together. You know, the Bible talks about joy. I, I don't think a lot of God's people could even explain what joy is. I, I think they want it, but I don't think they understand it from the Bible. You know, we talk about in the Bible the peace that passes all understanding. But what does really that mean? I mean, much of what we do with the Bible is what politicians do with issues. They become talking points. They become punchlines. They become things that we talk about, but we really don't have them in our own lives ourselves, happiness. Now, I know there's a happiness in the world, and I know that the word happiness comes from the word happenings. But there's a biblical happiness uh, adjacent to the world's happiness. I think the, 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 the source of all of the problems that we have as Christians is the lack of understanding of the word fulfillment. 
what it really means to uh, not only be fulfilled in your Christian life, but fulfill what God saved you for. And I think, uh, you know, another one, contentment. I don't see a lot of God's people content today. I think the world offers us so many great challenges and, and, and holds up so many things that we lose our perspective and we think are much more valuable than they really are. All of these things, the joy, the peace, the happiness, the fulfillment, and the contentment, they all come from the Holy Spirit of God. And in my way of thinking, it should be the drawing card uh, for people whose lives are in a mess, unsaved people, by, by God's design. I think one of the outstanding characteristics of what God had done for us, if we do what's right and put the Word of God in our life, is that, that unsaved people see our lives. Unsaved people see what we have and what they don't have. And unsaved people come to the point where they want that because their life is a mess. They see our lives uh, having these things in them, and it's a great drawing card. Uh, years ago, I heard a story a, a preacher told, and I never really forgot it, about what the Christian life should be. <clears throat> he talked about the Christian life <clears throat> is like a tornado. And <clears throat> I don't know what you know about tornadoes or even hurricanes, but uh, tornadoes are very devastating. We have our share of them in the Midwest, and, and uh, tornadoes and hurricanes in the hurricane season, you know, in the Atlantic and the South Atlantic and all those places. But... <clears throat> He said the Christian life should be just like that because for in the, in the middle of that tornado is what they call the eye of the tornado. And it may be only as a space of a half a mile depending on how big the whole tornado is. But it's a small space that <clears throat> in the middle of that tornado there's completely peace and completely calm. You wouldn't even know, you wouldn't even know that there's a tornado around you. As long as that eye of that tornado, you're in it. <clears throat> you never experience the destruction, which is only a couple hundred yards out. And I, he said, and he made the point that, <clears throat> you know, our Christian life should be that way. The Christian life should be a small center of calm, a small center of peace and happiness and fulfillment that is surrounded by the chaos of destruction, the world. And, and that is so true. That's a perfect example of what your life and my life should be. We ought to live in the peace and the storm. We sing songs about it all the time. You know, uh, your dad's favorite, my favorite song that your dad sings is Peace in the Valley, you know. There should be peace in our valleys. The valley in the Bible is always the lowest point of our life. We talk about singing the song of shelter in the time of storm. Uh, the great song, Rock of Ages. Most people don't even know that <clears throat> that song was written by a guy by the name of Reverend Toplady. And he lived in the 1700s. And he died in 1788. And sometime in his life, <clears throat> he was going to preach someplace. He was walking. And a gigantic storm blew up. And, I mean, it was the most ferocious storm that, that anybody had ever seen. And he took refuge in, a, in, a, in, in some rocks along a wall that went back in. And that's where he sat and shut out the storm. And while he was shutting out that storm, the Lord used that storm to put on his heart. And out of that, he wrote the song, Rock of Ages, Cleft for Me, Let Me Hide Myself in Thee. We sing the great song, It is Well with My Soul, When Peace Like a River Attendeth My Way. We, we sing the song till the storm passes over. But today we sing those songs with an empty heart. We really do. 
We, uh, you know, I think the song service is, is, in any church is, is a dead giveaway of where the people are at. <clears throat> and, you know, you got some people who sing the songs, they look forward to it. Other people are talking about this or that during the song service. You have all kinds of things. In many churches, <clears throat> the songs are so irrelevant anymore and the people have nothing to sing about, they actually have replaced that with some professional group up here or some professional you know, praise band or whatever that, that, that takes right out of your hands because there's nothing really in it. And, you know, it's a tragedy today. It's just word without any true meaning. I think in the Bible, the greatest passage in the Word of God that explains that is found way back there in Psalms 137. And you don't have to necessarily turn to it. I'll read it to you. But it's the time after the captivity. Whoever wrote this wrote Psalms 137 after Babylon came down and took them into captivity. And it says, By the rivers of Babylon, there we sat down. Yea, we wept when we remembered Zion. That's a great verse. It shows the nation of Israel, much like many of us, they're out of fellowship with God. They have, like we talked about last week, they've faced God's chastisement. And now they're down in Babylon, taken captive, and they're sitting there and they're remembering what they had with God and what they've got now. Well, you know what? We can all talk about being that place in our lives where we had something with God and because of some stupid thing or whatever, we lost that. And then we sit here in the misery of our captivity of the world and we think back of what it was when we were with God. A lot of times we get to the idea of when we start to get out of fellowship, that the world is, is a better place, a more fun place. And Christianity is such a boring place. Boy, it doesn't take long of the captivity of the world for you to look back and remember what you had with the Lord. You know, and I, and I, tell, I tell people all the time, sometimes you have, to, you have to lose what you have with God before you really understand what you, what you had when you lost it. I've seen people like that all my ministry. Yet at the same time, I've seen people who simply never learn from what they lose. They just never learn the lessons of life. So he says, by the rivers of Babylon, there we sat down, yea, we wept, and we remembered Zion. We hanged our harps upon the willows in the midst thereof. Now, hanging the harps on the willows. The harps is what they used to use when they played the psalms. The psalms were musical songs. And he hangs them on the willow. This is where we get the concept of weeping willows. It comes out of the Bible. For there they that carried us away captive, that would be Babylon, required of us a song. And they that wasted us required of us mirth, saying, Sing us one of the songs of Zion. And boy, one of the greatest statements in the Bible is the answer that they give them. And it's not only a picture of the nation of Israel in captivity at this time, having lost everything from God. It's a picture of Christianity today. For the answer is, in verse 4, how shall we sing the Lord's song in a strange land? That is so true. It's hard to sing the things of God. It's hard to recognize the things of God when we live in a strange land. And in most cases, unfortunately, there's no real difference in the lives of God's people than there is unsaved people. And I think that's a tragedy. You know, Matthew chapter 5, verse 14 says that, that ye are the light of the world. And then it says the fact that a, that a city on a hill cannot be hid. <clears throat> That's a beautiful picture of two things. One, when you got saved, there's a light of God inside you. 
And that light of God is what shines in the darkness. And the Bible says that we're the light of the world. But then he says a city on a hill cannot be hid. Now that's a picture of when when we get our 180, 200, 220 people all back in one spot and all the lights are on. You can't, you can't help but be a light in the darkness of this city. But the problem with God's people today, as the old expression goes, the lights are, the lights are uh, you know, the lights are off. The lights have gone out and nobody can see it anymore. Christian lives once stood for what the power of a transforming God could really do, but not today. I think it would be a safe bet for a non-believer to look at Christianity today and and most of the lives of God's people and honestly say, it it doesn't really work. Their life as a child of God is more messed up than mine. They claim to be a Christian. They want me to go to church. They want me to get into the Bible. But look at their lives. And you know what? They'd be be right, at least on the last part. Because it, 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 it doesn't, it doesn't it, because it doesn't work by what we see. You know, it looks like by what when you look at Christianity and God's people, it really looks like there's no difference from the world. I mean, Christian marriages are in messes, just like unsaved people's messes, marriages are in messes. Many times, you know, I've seen unsaved people whose wives, whose families, whose marriages were better than Christian marriages. I mean, the marriages are a mess, the kids are a mess, the Christians are a mess. Somebody looks at that and says to themselves, hey, I understand it. I understand it. People look at that unsaved. They look at God's people's lives, and we try to put out the talking points of what it means to be a Christian. Inside, they're looking through that, and they're saying, why would I want a life like you've got? Why would I want that in my life? I don't have those problems in my life. Oh, I totally understand it. I have people all the time, you know, not young Christians, but older Christians, you know, that'll come by and ask me, you know, why is it that I don't ever, I can't ever win anybody to Christ or nobody wants to listen to what I got to say? And, and I'm kind and I don't ever, you know, want to hurt anybody in any way unnaturally. And they're not really asking for a real answer, though I always gave them the plastic answer. But inside I looked at myself, why would they? Why would anybody look at your life, your family, your marriage and say, I want that. It's a mess today. It's a tragedy today. And at the same time, I must tell you, nothing has ever changed with God and his Bible and what it will do for you. The great verse in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 8 says, Jesus Christ the same yesterday and today and forever. And that's a true verse. You know, we have become a captive of the evil man and the strange woman. And I've told you before, you know, that in the world that we live in today, the Christian world, uh, when you lose your Bible, you lose seven things. And we're seeing today, not only in churches, but we're seeing it in the lives of God's people, the end result of not having a Bible. Now, it's bad enough that the devil and the strange woman took your Bible. But it's doubly worse that some of God's people don't care that he did. And there lies the problems. Now that brings us to our text today. And this great passage will again provide the great formula for what we so desperately need today as God's people, but so few really ever desire and most never ever get to. And now we're going to approach this passage 
literally of just one or two verses at a time. And like we've done with everything else, we're going to squeeze out of it all we can and see what it says. It's going to take us probably two weeks to get through this little passage here. Uh, and, and, we'll, and we'll see yet again how it takes us back to the theme of Proverbs chapter 1 through 7, the fundamental greatest attribute of your Christian life is getting God's knowledge and getting God's mind about the things in life. And yet it will warn us yet one more time of the dangers and the results and the consequences of leaning under our own understanding and being wise in your own eyes. Now let's read Proverbs chapter 3, verses 13 through 20. And as I said, we're in no hurry here. We'll take our time down through it and, and uh, we'll, we'll break this down into a couple of weeks here. He says, Happy is the man that findeth wisdom and the man that getteth understanding. For the merchandise of it is better than the merchandise of silver and the gain thereof than fine gold. She is more precious than rubies and all the things that thou canst desire are not to be compared unto her. Length of days is in her right hand, and in her left hand uh, riches and honor. Her ways are ways of pleasantness, and all her paths are peace. She is a tree of life to them that lay hold upon her, and happy is every one that retaineth her. The Lord by wisdom hath founded the earth, by understanding hath he established the heavens. By his knowledge the depths are broken up, and the cloud dropped down the dew. Now, Father, Take us today and help us to uh, break down this great passage. And Lord, I think that uh, the people here, Father, that for most of the part, most people here today really want to do and be everything that God wants them to be. I, I know that there's people here today that struggle, that people here today that, that, uh, that Lord, uh, have issues. But, Lord, they keep coming back, and they keep trying to do the best they can do. And, Lord, I pray, Father, that you'll continue to bless them and help them and let them know that I'm here to help them. And Lord, most of all, let the Word of God as it goes out today uh, be a, a salve to their wounds or their soul and help them to be everything in time that God wants them to be. Help them to be better husbands and better wives. Help them to be better parents. Help them to be better Christians. And help them to realize and understand that, Lord, that, uh, uh, that we're all that's left in this world of any semblance of what is right and wrong. And we should be that light that shineth in a dark place. And we'll thank you and praise you in Jesus' name for the sake we ask it. Amen. Now he says in verse 13, happy is the man that findeth wisdom and the man that getteth understanding. Now I don't know if you've ever counted them up, but um, when you go through the Bible, this phrase, happy is the man, is found four times in the Old Testament. You find it once in Job chapter 5 verse 17. You find it once in Psalms uh, 127 5. You find it here in Proverbs 3 verses 13 and then a little later on in Proverbs 28 verse 14. And whenever you look at these passages, this happiness comes uh, only from two things. And one, it comes from getting God's wisdom and getting God's understanding. And that's really what this passage is about. And he likens these two things to some great analogies that we want to look at today. You know, a happy heart based on spiritual things, not the happenings of the world. I've told you many times uh, this great truth that uh, in life, uh, we have knowledge, we have wisdom, and we have uh, understanding. And I've told you and described it, and won't spend a lot of time in it, how that knowledge is simply the facts of things. And wisdom is when you take those facts and you apply it. And every unsaved man, uh, along with God's people, an unsaved man can have, 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 have knowledge and have wisdom. You take a mechanic, he can have the knowledge of what makes an engine work and the wisdom how to fix it. So th that's not 
restricted to just Christians. But when a Christian gets uh, knowledge, we know now the beginning of the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge and the wisdom, how it moves through that. When he gets knowledge and he gets wisdom, in time, if he stays with it, it'll translate into something that the world or an unsaved man will never get. That's understanding. Uh, an unsaved man may have knowledge about an engine and have the wisdom to fix it, but he'll never have the understanding of how God fits into everything. And that's really what understanding is on a global concept. Understanding is looking at any situation, any circumstance, whether it be in history, whether it be in your own life, whether it be, you know, in people that you're dealing with or, or whatever, and understanding how God looks at it and how God views it. And it's the development of these three things in our lives that come when you begin to work at getting uh, God's wisdom and getting God's understanding. And I want to tell you something. I don't know where you go in life, and I don't know what all you're going to do in life. Some of you will do great things for God. Some of you probably won't ever develop it past any point in life. I hope not, but uh, it's hard to get a crowd this size together uh, and, and not have, uh, you know, both ends of the spectrum. But I want to tell you something today. That ability to be able to know for sure when you look at any situation, whether it be in your life, whether it be in a situation you're confronted with, whether it be in a situation of looking at history or looking at current events around you or looking at, at, at situations with your children, situations with your marriage, situations with everything in life. When you get to that point that you have the ability to know for sure when God is in something and when God is not in something, you've come to the place that you've got the, probably the greatest treasure you'll ever have. Not getting to that point in your life uh, will cause you in miserable grief, I guarantee you. And yet, it sounds like some mystical, magical crystal ball concept. And you know, you drive down 350 here, going down to the plaza, and right there, as you get past uh, 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 the, the barbecue places there, if you look right over here, there's a, there's a fortune teller there. She's been there for years. I moved here in 1976, and she was there then. And uh, you go in there, and she'll do palm reading. She'll do you know, horoscopes, you know, and what a horror. They call them horoscopes because when she looks at it, your life is a real horror. And she, she, she does all kinds of things. She reads tea leaves. She'll put down her tarot cards, you know. She'll, she'll do whatever you want to do as long as you pay for it. And you'll go in there and sit down, as many people do. She must be making some money on it. She's still in business. She's been there for years. And, uh, you know, you tell her, and she'll read your palm, and she'll read your, your cracks in your hands, you know, and all those things, and she'll tell you, well, you've got a long life, or you're, you're cut off here, you're going to die tomorrow. Well, she'll tell you whatever you need to hear. And, you know, and we get so used to that, we know it's phony, we know it isn't real. <clears throat> so when I start talking about somebody having the ability to look at any given situation in life and, and know before you have to make a decision if God is in it or God is not in it, how invaluable is that? How would you like to have at your disposal every time you had to make a major decision in life or a minor decision in life that all you had to do was flip your cell phone and hit the number speed dial 7 and it would call up God and he would say, uh-uh, or go ahead. Wouldn't that be a great thing? Wouldn't that solve all of our problems? Yeah. Well, you have that option. It's just not on your phone yet. <clears throat> you have that option. <laughs> you have that option because when you get God's wisdom and God understanding and you really make it work in your life, you don't have to wonder about circumstances. You don't have to look at some scenario in life that you have to make a decision on, whether you're going to allow it into your world or not. You don't have to look at it and say, hmm, I wonder if God is in this or it's not. I had a young man a couple of years ago that, that uh, come up and he sat down when we were after one of our ball games, and he said to me, he said, uh, 
He said, well, he says, I just wanted you. And I love how people phrase things. People phrase things like they want to get my opinion on it after they've already decided to do it. I guess they think I'm stupid. I don't figure those things out. I mean, do I look like I just fell off the turnip truck to anybody here? Shut up, Bob. You got a dog now. You better behave yourself. <clears throat> I'm the dog whisperer. I'll tell him to wet all over your clothes and your shoes, Bob. I mean, they, they, you know, and I, 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 I've been around people for the last 45 years of my life. I've heard every, every story, every lie, every twisted thing, everything that you want to do. I know how human nature pads it for their way. And he came in, you know, and he, he basically wanted to uh, say, I'd like to get your opinion. But it was very obvious he already made his decision. He, I was the last guy he talked to on it. And, I, and I'm cool with that. I, I, I told you before, I always, take the, I always take the position, you know, you come in and ask me up, and, up front, you know, what does the Bible say about this? I'm faced with this. I'll tell you what the Bible says. You play the game where you've already got it constructed and you just want to come in so you can go down the line and feel good about, well, I've run it by Bob when you've already made your decision. I'll tell you whatever you want to hear. I'll follow Ezekiel chapter 13. I'll give you the lie to believe if that's what you want, you see. I mean, I'm not stupid by any stretch of the imagination. And so he came in, and, and when he told me all these things, and I, I, I told him, I said, you know what? Everything you've told me violates every biblical principle that you ought to know. And, you know, in cases like that, it was the easiest thing to see. What he was doing violated every principle that kids in our junior high class would know that you don't violate. But you see, when you want to lean to your own understanding and your own wisdom over the wisdom and understanding that God gives you, you're going to have some problems in life. I'm guaranteeing you, you will have some definite issues that you're going to struggle with and you're going to get to that point. You know, you'll always, be, you'll always be happy when you have the ability to be smarter than the problem. And the ability to simply understand when God is in something and when he's not. <clears throat> Back in the 1940s, around 1941, radar was a relatively unknown deal. The British had worked with it, and it was very elementary in its, in its basic design. They had these big high towers along the coast of Dover, that would pick up the, uh, the Germans flying over in the Battle of Britain, but it was a very elementary thing. And as they developed it, it, it came to the point where uh, it, it got a little bit better, and they started installing it on, on U.S. naval ships. But the process was slow, and you saw in some of the great battles in the Pacific, like the Battle of Guadalcanal in 42 and places like that, where only one in ten American ships actually had radar installed. And the ones that had radar installed could see the enemy ships long before they ever got there. But when they got separated out and they're under radio silence, the other ships were very vulnerable because they're just plodding along. And actually, we almost lost that battle because we ran smack into the Japanese fleet, didn't even know they were there. Radar was a great thing, even though it was elementary at that point. Now, we've developed today where they can look out four or 5,000 miles and they can see and tell by the signature whether it's fro, uh, an enemy or a foe. Up in Alaska, all along the uh, coast up there, uh, they've got radar stations stationed every, they call it the early warning system because we were afraid that the Russians would fire missiles, and we wanted as much time to prepare. So uh, today the radar is so sophisticated, it goes out past the moon, and they can, they can detail everything. We call it our early warning system. Hey, every Christian 
ought to have an early warning system in them. Every Christian ought to have the spiritual radar where that big hand sweeps the dial and you see what's out there that you can't see with your eyes. And you know when something evil this way comes. You know that when something's coming your way, it's not good. The radar is so sophisticated today, they can tell by the heat signatures and all of the things. Why Those sonar boys on our submarines, they can listen to the screws of a Russian submarine and tell you what kind of submarine it is and what class it is. You know why? They programmed all of that. When you get your spiritual mind tuned into that book and get God's willing understanding, you can, you can understand to that great detail what you're dealing with. Now, when you get to that place in your life, that's the greatest most valuable thing that God ever made available to us. Now look at verse 14 coming back to Proverbs here and it says this. It says, for the merchandise of it is better than the merchandise of ships, of silver, excuse me, and the gain thereof uh, more than, fi- uh, than fine gold. Now there's a great, that great, that's a great word, merchandise. And we'll develop it as we move through this passage, but it's used here in a biblical sense. But we're, we're, just don't forget now that our job as Christians is to be doing God's business. And we'll talk about that as we come down through here. Now, what he's saying here basically is he says that for the merchandise of it, and that would be the, the wisdom uh, and understanding, is better than the merchandise of silver and the gain of, thereof of, of fine gold. In other words, from God's wisdom and God's understanding, we get some things your money can't buy you. We get some things that, that this world uh, doesn't have. And all the money in the world and you may attain, all the things that you invest your life with will never give it to you because it's something that you have to look at and trade for. And I'll talk about that here in a little bit. One of the first things is insight, the ability to see the inside of things. What, what really uh, are, not as they appear, how things really are. You're going to learn that people are going to tell you what you want to hear. The naive pastor, the naive Christian falls for those things. The smart pastor or the smart Christian pretends he believes those things, but he always understands because he has radar is underneath. I mean, it, uh, you can always tell when a ship is flying under false colors. And it's insight. Insight is discernment. It's discretion. It's your Christian radar. It's your early warning system for the Christian. Then he says, uh, then the next thing would be the peace of God. You can't buy that. You can't buy insight into things in this life. You can go to college and get all degrees. And what you'll get is you'll get knowledge and you'll get, you'll get wisdom. But you'll never get understanding because that only comes from God. So then the second thing is the peace of God. Now in the Bible, we talk about the peace of God a lot. But when you bring it down to the lowest common denominator, the peace of God is simply your ability to rest in God. And this is the rest of the believer should have. And there's a biblical formula in the Bible, and I don't know if you've ever seen it, but it's over in Psalms uh, 37. And I think it's one of the greatest uh, defining passages on what, uh, you know, uh, peace is and what real rest is. And he says in verse 1, he says, Fret not thyself because of evildoers, neither be thou envious of, of, against the workers uh, uh, of iniquity. Now, the first thing he says is, fret not thyself. We do a lot of fretting as Christians. We worry about everything. And we worry about, we worry about all the things we shouldn't worry about and don't ever worry about the real things we ought to worry about. But we're fretters. We all are. 
We're that by nature because we're weak. And so what God has done to us weak fretters is give us, is give us the supernatural power of God that you don't, and the peace of God that you have the ability, even though you're human and you're faced out there with all of that tormatic tornado that's brewing around you, that you live in the eye of that storm and you have that peace. You have that rest. So verse 1 says, fret not thyself because of evildoers. Verse 2 says, for they shall soon be cut down like the grass and wither as the green herb. That's a great promise and a great principle. And then I want to show you the pattern. Verse 3, trust in the Lord and do good. So thou shalt dwell in the land and verily thou shalt be fed. Verse 4, delight thyself also in the Lord and, and he shall give thee the desires of thy heart. Verse 5, commit thy way unto the Lord. Trust also in him and he shall bring it to pass and he shall bring forth thy righteousness as the light and thy judgment as noonday. Verse 7, rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. Fret not thyself because of him who prospereth in his way because of the man who bringeth wicked devices to pass. See the process? Fret not. Why fret not? How can you get out of fretting? Verse 3, because you trust in the Lord. Verse 4, then you delight yourself in the Lord. Verse 5, you commit your way unto the Lord, and when you do those three things, then you have the ability to rest in the Lord. And that's how it works. That's the peace of God. The next thing that you can't buy with money is long life. Now, in the Old Testament, that's literally living to be 100 years old. Not so in the New Testament. It deals with the fulfilled life of, as God's plan unfolds uh, in your life, fulfilling your destiny. Every time I marry a couple, the last thing I say to them is I uh, turn them around and, and pray for them and get ready to turn them loose. I always pray that together they'll fulfill God's destiny of what God wants them to be and what God wants them to do. God has a destiny for you. He has a destiny for me. And your job when you get God's wisdom and God's knowledge and understanding is to find out and understand what that destiny is and then fulfill it. Now, the fourth thing money can't buy is salvation. Now, I know, I know. And I understand how we use it. Even the Bible talks about salvation being a free gift, but only in the concept that it's free to you. Salvation is like freedom. It wasn't free. Somebody had to pay for that salvation for it to be free to you. And Jesus Christ on the cross, he knew, he knew that, that I couldn't pay for it. He knew that you couldn't pay for it. He knew the cost of our souls was so great that I couldn't pay it, you couldn't pay it. So he chose the only one who could pay it was God's son. And that's why when you come down up here in verse 14, it says the merchandise uh, is silver and gold. Silver represents the redemption of God. Gold represents the deity of God. God thought more of his deity in redeeming your soul than he thought of his own son. And it's an incredible process. You can't buy salvation. You can't. And uh, it's a thing where it's, uh, it's, it is, you could have all the money in the world. You could amass it all. And uh, you, you'll never be able to buy what God paid the price for you to have. Then the next thing that you can't pay for and buy is assurance of salvation. Uh, and I don't mean this to be cruel or, or, or in a negative way, though it's, it's negative, but I think the most worthless people in the world that are saved people are the ones who believe they can lose their salvation. Because as long as you believe you can lose sal your salvation, you're never going to step up by faith for God to fear you might lose it. You see, as long as a person believes that you can, you can lo actually lose it and you can, you can do something that God will take it away, I've never understood the concept. If you didn't do anything to get it, why would you, could you do something to lose it? 
Somebody said, well, I'm afraid you could lose your salvation by doing something wrong. Well, I was doing things wrong when he gave it to me. You think God thought, well, because I'm going to give it to you, you're never going to do anything wrong before? Well, you don't deserve it after you do things wrong. I didn't deserve it before he gave it to me. What's your point? You know, people don't get it sometimes. Uh, it's just the way that it works. Second Timothy 1.12, Paul said, For which cause I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed. For I know whom I have believed, and I am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. Now, there's your, there's your, you can't buy that. I mean, I may have the worst day of my life tomorrow, and I may just fall apart, and I may just do a lot of stupid things, but I'll tell you what, at the end of the day, thank God I know I'm saved. It's the only positive thing I got in my life sometimes, but it's the most important thing. And, uh, you know, it's a thing where you can't pay for that. Then, sixth one, the power of God in your life. Acts chapter 8, we got a good example of this with Simon the sorcerer. He saw the apostles do all these great miracles. <laughs> he goes up and he says, here, here's money. Give me this power. You know, there's a lot of people like that in churches today. They think if they give a lot of money or they do this and they do that, they can buy their way in, that they'll get some kind of status and they'll get to be this. I've known people that gave money and they got made deacons. I've known people that gave money were made pastors. But I'll tell you what, there's never been a person, no matter how much money you gave to the church, ever got God's power. Doesn't come that way. Position, yes. Popularity, yes, till your money runs out. But the power of God, uh-uh. They looked at him and they said, thy money perish with you, pal. You can't buy that thing. You just can't. You know, in everything in life, there's, I, I've learned this, and I've learned, you know, I'm 63 years old, and I, I, I've started a, I, I told the restart people this the last time I spoke to them. I started about a year and a half ago listing all the things I've learned, and, uh, I, and, and, and I've learned in 63 years, I hope I've learned something, but I, I, I have a tendency to forget. So, you know, I started to make a book uh, of the things that I have learned and one of the things I've learned in there and I wrote down in my book is that everything in this life that's true, there'll be a, there'll be a counterfeit deception. Uh, they, they just will. You've got counterfeit churches. You've got counterfeit Bibles. You've got counterfeit past. Everything's a counterfeit. Now, I'll show you what I mean. We know in the Bible that the Bible says that heaven is north. Psalm 75 says, Promotion cometh neither from the south, from the west, from the east, but from the Lord. He put himself in the, in the place of north. We know that. We know that Psalms 48 talks about that God thrones on the sides of the north. We know that. And I'm not going to give you the astronomy lesson today, but, uh, you know, if you go out and you, you want to find out where heaven's at, you can look north. You can't see it, but that's the direction that it is. But you know that there's two norths? You know that there's true north, and then there's what they call magnetic north? And you know what? On this place, when you get your compass and you, get a, you, you want to go north, you want to set a heading on it, you're not getting true north. You're getting magnetic north, which is off the North Pole, which is not true north. In other words, it's affected by the things in this world that throw your compass off that you think you're going north, but you're really not going north. You may be four or five degrees off. And four or five degrees may not sound like much, but you put it into two, three thousand miles, and it's a big deal. There's a true north. And there's a magnetic north. True north, you don't, and you look and say, well, I'll follow the north star. No, that's not the way to do it either. The north star is off true north by about two and a half degrees. The only way you can get true north is to get a triangulation of the stars to what they call a sextant, and you get true north off the stars. Do you know who made the stars? God did. So there's a true north, and then there's a false north. 
a counterfeit that man will follow and he'll follow and he'll follow and he says, I'm going north, I'm going to church, I'm doing right. There's a way that seemeth right unto men, but they're in thereof are the ways of death. There's a false in everything. And it's a, you know, the, the, the true north is right on the money. The magnetic north is compass is made by man to find north, but it's never going to be right on because just like in many things in our Christian life, it's, it's affected by the things of the world. You know, gold's the same way. Now, Luke chapter 16, verse 11, I love that. The true riches in the Bible are found in Luke chapter 16, verse 11. The true riches are found in the AV 1611. I love it. I love it. I love it. You say, well, that's just a coincidence. Well, just let me enjoy it, okay? I'll let you enjoy your delusion that you're going to heaven. So let me delude my that this is a delusion. Now, Luke chapter 16 talks about gold the same way. These are the true riches of God. That is silver and gold. But you also know in 1880s, they, they found uh, the big gold rush out in Sutter's Mill in California. And uh, everybody from the east was, was leaving and going out there because they're gold and them their hills, you know. And they found that many, many made their fortunes and all that stuff. But once they got out there and they started panning for gold and they started doing all the things, you know what? They found out that there's, there's also a false phony gold. It's called fool's gold. And that'd be the gold of this world. You know, the wise man in the book of Proverbs, he'll find the true riches, the real gold, the real north. The foolish man, he just finds the fool's gold. In our passage, he calls wisdom and understanding silver and gold. I think that's very appropriate. Silver will always be the price of redemption. Gold will always be the deity of Christ. And in our society, uh, you know, we, we, we call, we call uh, our merchandising of goods, we call it free trade. We make trade agreements with other nations for our merchandise. Every town will have a trademark. When we put up the Iran sanctions against the country of Iran because of their nuclear uh, program that they had, uh, those sanctions, in case you didn't know what they were, were in the form of trade agreements. We don't trade with you. You can't export your stuff. We're not going to import any stuff. And it puts pressure on people. You know, and, and free trade is, again, it's elusive in its term. Free trade. It's not free. You're free to trade it, but it's not free. Somebody pays for the good someplace along the line or makes a decision to buy it or not buy it or invest in it or not invest in it, but it's never free. The only thing is free is your free will to exercise it to either engage in it or not. You know, life has always been and will always be about free trade, trading this to get that. And simply put, in Christianity today, it's real simple. God's people have traded away the gold of the silver of God for the full gold of this world. And that's what they've done. And along with that, many of them are following the magnetic compass of life and will miss heaven by a million light years. They go into church, so they think that's headed north. They do good Christian things, get baptized for salvation, do good works, Join a church, get your church membership, get your baby baptized, preach the social gospel, yet it may be just three degrees off the true north. Well, you're going to hell because there's a true north, there's a magnetic north. There's a true riches and there's a false riches. Now, I've told my kids growing up, and they'll testify to this. I'm sure they're sick of hearing it. I still tell them. 
I've told my wife this many, many times. As I'm ducking, she's throwing something at me. I told my kids all their life growing up that when we go through life, the life is about trading. We'll trade one thing for something else. Life is about choices, and life is a trade-off. When they did something stupid or did something wrong, and they had to face the consequences, and they didn't get something over here, I very lovingly and very kindly explained to them that, you know what, honey, you simply traded this for this. Now, I don't know what to do about that. My, I can't go back and undo the trade. But what you can do from this point on is learn from this trade and from this point on make good trades in life. Because I'm telling you, folks, everything in life is a trade-off. You're going to trade this for this. Whatever you do, you're going to trade this for this. And uh, I think it's one of the greatest teaching elements that you can take with your children. I think if you're smarter than the problem and you're, you, you, you're, you know, you, you, you understand the concept, I think it's simply one of the greatest things that, that one I can tell you, but you can take you who have young kids and tell them. When, 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 when people around you, their kids or their family or whatever, you see some screw up, you, you know, most parents try to hide it from their kids. You know, I'm not sure that's a good idea because Parents don't figure it out that their kids probably know more about it than the parents do. Kids have their own little party line of what goes on in the world. You putting your head in the sand and say, well, I'm not going to talk about that with them because, you know, they don't know anything about it. They already know more about it than you do. You're missing the greatest opportunity to, to deal with them. I think that it's a great thing when you see something that's over here that isn't right or something here that happens with this or something that happens with that. Your kids are exposed to it. They see it. It's a great thing. You don't be judgmental about it. You don't be cruel about it. You just simply use it as a teaching aid. Now, how did they get into that problem? Well, I want you to know. They simply traded this for this. And honey, I, I don't want you to make bad trades. I'm not saying anything wrong with them. We need to pray for them. We need to do what we can do to help them. But at the end of the day, why did it happen? Because they traded this for this. Hey, life's a trade-off. And you go through life not understanding that great principle, you're in for some trouble. And over the years, I've seen terrible trade deals with people. I've seen girls trade a life of serving God in ministry and having a happy home and trade it away for Bozo the Clown. I've seen young men uh, through bad choices who had great potential to be something for God traded away by getting hooked up with some bimbo. I've seen God's people make some of the most horrendous trades in their life. I've seen it by the hundreds. I've seen it by the thousands. Trade all that God had for them now and at the judgment seat of Christ. Just so why they could play the fool down here for a small period of time. People, God's people will forsake the true riches of wisdom and understanding and a relationship with God and they'll trade it for booze, they'll trade it for drugs, they'll trade it for all the slop of this world. I've seen them trade their kids. I've seen them trade their families. I've seen them trade the blessings of God. I've seen them trade their health. I've seen them trade their ministry for God for something that is fool's gold. It never ceases to amaze me. Uh, you know, I... Uh, I, I, people all the time, and now as you get older, you know, you think about these things, and, uh, and I hang out with a lot of older people now. It's at the shuffleboard court, you know, and I'm the king there, by the way. <laughs> but I'll go to the gym and walk around, and they kind of know the guys that are my age or a little older. And, and the thing that every time there's a the catastrophe uh, in the country someplace, it always goes to one thing. 
and that is the investment they've got in their retirement. Uh, you know, they got IRAs, they got stocks, they got gold, they got silver, they got their 401ks. And, and I understand it, and I'm not, and I'm not saying you shouldn't, uh, you shouldn't have those things, but these guys, all their hope is in these things. Danny's got a brother who's a, the goofy side of the family. Danny's the good side. And he passed out, a, sent a letter out to all the family and how a couple of years ago that how that they, that everybody, the world's coming to an end and everybody needs to buy gold. He said, sell everything you got, every, every dime you have and put it in gold. Now that's probably one of the stupidest things I've ever heard in my life. You're going to amass all the gold you got. You're going to amass all this stuff. You know what they did in 1932 or 35 when Roosevelt was president? He passed a decree that you couldn't have any gold, and they just came in and took every gold that everybody had. You're going to, you're going to hang on to that? Now, I see people getting for the ready for the apocalypse. They're buying, they go to Steve's gun shop. They buy guns, they buy ammo. He can't even keep ammo on the shelf. Everybody's stocking it in the basement. They're buying guns, they're buying rifles, and they're buying all their stuff to fend off that you can protect what you have. Now, may I ask an honest question? You have you, your wife, and your two kids. A hundred armed men assault your house. How long will you last? Even if your wife's a good shot. Even if your kids are good shots. If you can train the dog to pull the trigger. <laughs> the bark bigger than he is. How long will you last when a hundred people want what you have? You know there's nothing in this world that's safe. Don't you know that by now? Don't you know you can lock your house up, get all the alarm systems you want, put all the bolts on the door, and if somebody wants in your house, they're going to get in your house. If they want to steal what you got, they will steal. Now, I'm not against having those things. It would be fun to take out a few of them as they're coming over the back fence. <laughs> My advice is to get sneaky. Put your barbecue grill up along the back fence, and when they start coming over, put an armor-piercing around through that tank of gas. Light them up. <laughs> Give whole new purpose to the neighborhood. But let's be honest. What do you have? that you can honestly protect to keep from somebody taking it if they want it. There's only one thing you ought to be investing and hanging on to that's going to last for all of eternity. I've preached all my life. There's only three things worth investing your life in as a child of God. Two things. One of them is the souls of men. The other one is the Word of God because they're the only two things going to last forever. But I see them. These guys talk about, boy, my 401k took a hit. Boy, I'll tell you what, stocks aren't looking good. I mean, uh, you know what? My 40K, my 40K is down to a 201K. It's, it's, a, it's a mess. Well, you know, and I'm not saying you shouldn't have that. I'm not saying, occupy till I come. I understand it. I'm not saying that. But they spend more time worrying over their investments and never even think about their life and what God has given them to invest down here. Now look at verse 15. She is more precious than rubies she being wisdom and understanding in the format of a female uh, as the church, the Christian. When you go over to Proverbs chapter 31, verse 10, you'll find that this is the end result, the virtuous woman who's filled with God's wisdom and God's uh, understanding, though it, it's likened to a, a she here. It says her price is far above rubies. Now, rubies, if you ever saw them, are blood red. 
And they cut them in small little ovals or circles or squares. And when we look at them, they're about the size of a bloody nail print that must have been in Christ's hands and his feet. Her price is far above rubies, more precious than that. If you take the study all the way through, you'd find the thing that's more precious than rubies is a pearl, and she's called the pearl of great price. You see, you can take a ruby and cut it in half and still have two perfect rubies. You can take a diamond and cut it in half. Any gem, any stone, you can cut it in half and you can have two. You take a pearl and cut it in half, both halves die because it's a living thing. The church is a living thing. Its price is far above rubies. I, 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 think, the, I think the last part of that verse... I think the last part of that verse is, is just incredible. Where it says, In all things, and all the things that thou canst desire are not to be compared unto her. Can you let that sink in just for a moment? Now, my dear friend, we all sit here today and we all want to know about God's wisdom. We all want that radar. We all want that early warning system. We all want the ability to look and see a problem and know when God's in and when he is and how to deal with all those things. We want all of that. And you know, we all, we all want to get to that point where we have God's wisdom understanding in life. But you know when you get to that point, it's not some title. It's not some position. It's not being a pastor or being a deacon or even, or even a Christian. It's when you get to that last part of verse 15, it's true in your life, when all things in this world that you could ever desire could never replace the book that God gave you. When you get to that place in your life, you're there. And it isn't the fact that you say it, it's the fact that you live your life like you do. The greatest example of that in the Bible would be the Apostle Paul, who probably was the most educated man, who probably had more going for him than any man in the New Testament. And when he found that book and he found God and he got the wisdom and understanding of God and God gave him the revelation of the church, he looked at all he learned and he compared it to dung. I mean, it's an incredible concept. All the things that thou canst desire, money, fame, friends, relationships, education, careers, praise of men, your boyfriend or your girlfriend, the booze, the drugs, the parties, hunting, fishing, sports, and all else the world will offer you to trade you out of those true riches. And let me say, I'm not saying that you can't have any of these things. I'm not saying that these things should not be part of your life. I'm saying not at the expense of trading what God has given you and you trade that for this. All my life I've seen God's people simply make, simply trade away what God has given them for something absolutely worthless. An old preacher told me one time, he put his arm around me and he says, Bob, let me tell you something about life. All that glitters is not gold. The making of bad investments. You know, in the New Testament, Luke chapter 19, there's a story of three men who God gave a pound to. Now, pound being an English weight amount of money. And as the story goes, he goes his way and lets them take what he has given them, and he, he, he wants to see if they'll, what they'll do with it, if they'll make a gain out of it by investing it and making good investments. And this is a great picture of the church age and what God has given you and what God has given me. And in verse 15 it says, And it came to pass that when he was returned, having received the kingdom, then he commanded these servants to be called unto him, to whom he had given the money, that he might know how much every man had gained by trading. An accounting was coming. And what they did with what God gave them, 
Now, keep in mind, they all got the same. He gave them all one pound. He didn't give one a pound and somebody else a half a pound and a quarter of a pound. Everybody got the same measurement. They got a pound. We all start with the same in life. When you got shaved and I got shaved, I got no more out of it than you got out of it. You got no more than the person sitting next to you. When we got shaved, we all got the same measure of grace and faith. It's what you invested in where you go with it. It's just that simple. The investments they made and the good trades they made that took what God gave them and brought back a good return for the Lord. Now, as the senior investment advisor in this church, sometimes called a pastor, I want this church to make a very good investment and bring a good return for the Lord. But it starts with us as individuals making the right investments. I had a lady one time, she said, well, Bob, you know, he won't give you the time of day if you don't do right. And that's not exactly true. It's kind of true, but it's not exactly true. She knew better than that. But this is the woman who goes to the graveyard and will tell you that if you speak to your dead parents, they can hear you. Kind of like the Christian witch at Endor. You know, I'll help anybody, but, uh, uh, but no matter where you're at or what you do. But I will confess to you, I'm not into wasting a lot of time chasing people who don't want to get caught. We don't have a visitation program here. I used to hate visitation, and the, the only one that hated it more than me was the people who you visited. <laughs> Most churches you go to, they'll have you fill out a card. They lie to you out of the gate. They'll say, we'd like to have a record of your visit today. Would you honor us with giving us your name and your address? That's all a lie. They want it because come whatever night visitation night is, somebody's going to knock on your door. They know if they told you we're going to come visit you, you wouldn't put it down. See, they're just honest out of the chute. We don't do that here. I figure if you come on Sunday morning, you're seeing the best I got. Me showing up on your porch on Thursday night or Wednesday night isn't going to do it for you. You're seeing everything we are this morning. You're hearing everything I've got to say today. You don't need me coming over and begging you to come. I'll never beg anybody to do anything for God. It's your responsibility as a free moral agent to listen to truth, listen to the Word of God, and then you say, you know what, that's what I want, or no, that's what I don't want. I'm good either way. I am, the one thing I am proud about of this church and I love about this church and what God has done in this church, we have never lost anybody in this church that was ever worth anything. We've had people leave and their offerings have went up. Go figure that one. Somebody will say, well, so-and-so left the church. And I'll say, well, what ministry are they in? Whether or not. Well, what do they work? Who are they working with? Whether or not. Well, what are they doing around anything? Whether or not. Okay, well, then what's the big deal? Well, that's my take. If that's the wrong thing to say and the way to feel about it, I don't know what to tell you. Come confess to me afterwards and I'll forgive you for it. <laughs> but I, you know what? I'm not going to chase people who don't want to get caught. When you start running from God, it's very obvious you're running from God. And you know when you're running from God, honestly... Because I know when I run from God. When you run from God, what's the last thing you want? Me chasing you. Now, you'd like maybe your girlfriend or your boyfriend to chase you, or your mom and dad to chase you, but the last person you want to chase you is me. Because you'll tell them your sob story. You won't tell me your sob story. I got you on my radar screen. You're on my long-range warning. 
I know exactly what your problem is. And I'm willing to help you. But we're going to do it on God's terms, not your terms. And you know it well. How many have been out of fellowship in your life? Let me see your hands. Nobody? Well, the rest of you, we're going to give an invitation this morning. You come on down and get right with God for lying, okay? We all have been. Every one of us. And him especially. (laughs) I think he may still be. But you know as well as I do. The last thing you want is when you're running from God is to get caught. I remember one time Missy got right with the Lord. Missy gave me one of the most classy statements, and this is why I love you. Many reasons why I love you, but this is, I'll never forget this. She came into my office, and she, she'd been running from God, hadn't you, honey? Huh? And she came into my office, and she says, I just come here for one reason. I'm hanging up my running shoes. No, that's what I'm talking about. That's what I'm talking about. And, and we all, when you run from God, you don't want anybody chasing you. You're, I've learned over the years, you're much better off just to keep running because when you run and nobody's chasing you, you're always looking back to see if they are, and then you run into a brick wall or a tree, and that's what God uses. You didn't see the tree because you're looking back to see if I'm looking back to see if you're looking back at me, and you hit the tree. I think that's a song. You guys ought to work on that. You could probably make something out of that, Bob. If you've got time now with your new dog you're working with. <clears throat> but, you know, I, I spent... I, 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 I spent a lot of time, uh, you know, uh, talking to people, uh, chase people who don't want to get caught. I, I, I don't ask any, I, I, I want you here, uh, but I only want you here if you want to be here. I want you here because you love being here and you love the truth. I want you here because that's what it, you, you need to be if that's where God wants you to be. But everybody gets the same chance. I mean, you need some extra help. Hey, I'm not, I hate even to say something like this, but I'm going to say it. You show me one pastor in this city. Just name me one that'll spend Monday night, Tuesday night, Wednesday night, and Thursday night with you, having him come over to your house and solving any problem you got. I don't care if it takes five years, 10 years, or 20 years. And some of us, we're going on 15, 20 years. But I got a business to run. I have investments that have to be made. How, how long do you think you keep your job? If you put out at work like you do for the Lord. And you say, well, I get paid at that. Hey, Bugwit, you get paid for this. It's just not now. It's coming at the judgment seat of Christ. Now, one guy, he took his, and in verse 16, he brought back tenfold. I think that's great. That's what he should have done. Now, the other guy, he took his, and in verse 18, he brought back fivefold. He didn't do exactly what the other guy did, but he did pretty good. Then you have the third guy who took what God had given him, the same amount that everybody else had, and in verse 20, he does absolutely nothing with what God gave him. And he says, I just got the one pound that you gave me. You know what God did? God took that pound and gave it to somebody else. At the judgment seat of Christ, and that's what it's a picture of, my friend. That's a story of a picture of the church age and a Christian losing his rewards because of bad investments or even worse, no investments. Now, let me ask you a question. If every morning at 6 a.m. when you got up, you got a little text on your phone that says, we have just deposited $86,400 in your bank account. Now, 
Tomorrow, there will be another $86,400 as the next day, as every day of your life. But here's the catch. There's only one deal. You have to spend it all. And if one day goes by that you don't spend all of that $86,400, then you're going to lose what you have and you're going to lose the rest of it. Well, I know exactly what we do. First thing we do is go out and spend it on ourselves and buy everything we ever wanted. Once we got wore out with that, we, we, we couldn't find anything else to buy. We'd give some to others. Very few God's people would think of God first. Very few would give to others first and then themselves. But nobody would do nothing. Nobody. You say, what's your point? There is no point. Just part of my charm. The point is this. You want to know what the point is? Every day. Every day of your life, God deposits 86,400 seconds and the account of your life every day. That's how many seconds in a 24-hour day. And you and I spend them one way or the other. You and I make good investments or bad investments with that time. We invest of that time, uh, make good decisions or bad ones. We make good investments or we make bad ones. You make good trades or you make bad trades. You either make a gain for God with that time or you just make a gain for yourself. She is more precious than rubies and all the things that thou canst desire are not worthy to be compared of her. Getting God's understanding in that great concept. You'll take your life, I'll take my life that God has given us and the time that he has allotted you and me. And remember now, it's a season. You start out as a child in the spring. You grow up to an adult and, 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 and functional in the summer. You get a little older in your 40s and your 50s in the fall, and then you move into winter. It ain't like you got your whole life. I never saw an apple tree bear apples in February. You'll take your life that God has given you and the time that he has allotted us. We'll take all those things that God has put into your life for to be used for him, your abilities, your talents, your money, your family. And when you get to the place in your life when you really see God, you really understand the Bible, you really have your life down, your possession from God's standpoint, and why you really have them, then you get the wisdom and understanding of God in all things and in this life how to use them. That's when you become invaluable to God. Most never, never do. You know, there's another great story in the New Testament. It's found in Luke chapter 9, verse 57 and 62. Here's a story where a couple of young men come to Jesus. And they said, hey, we want to follow you. We want to, we want to be with you. We want to, do, uh, we want to go with you. We've seen you. We, we, we know who you are. We want to be part of the work of God, and we want to be part of this. When he starts to tell the one of the heartache and the hardships, that the foxes, and the, they have places to sleep, but the Son of Man have no place to sleep. First one's gone. Another one comes up, and he says, I want to follow you, but let me first go bury my father. Second one comes in, and he says, I want to follow you, but let me first go say goodbye to these people. You see, that'll be the problem that'll keep you every time from serving God. It's the me first in you. It's that you want to serve God, but it's you first. Oh, I want to be what God wants me to be, but me first. 
Oh, I want to be everything that God wants me to be. I want to learn the Bible. I want God's wisdom. But it's me first. There's the problem. Now, when you get it together, you see yourself as a merchant with the greatest merchandise the world has ever seen. Now you're like a medical student with God's wisdom and knowledge. You've got the cure for all mankind that you can go pass out freely. Proverbs 31, 14, talking about that virtuous woman. It says, she is like the merchant ships. She bringeth her food from afar. Oh, I remember coming up when I was studying church history. The great time in history that changed everything at the end of the Crusades. And here's a situation, as all situations in history, when you have understanding and you see what God is doing, how God did this. You know, the, the, the Crusades really brought an end to the Dark Ages. The Dark Ages run from 500 to about, 1, uh, to about uh, uh, 1500. And uh, it was a time when the Roman Catholic Church ran the world and threw the world into darkness and limited everybody. Everybody was told that, that, and they lived like in swallow. They lived in terrible conditions. And the Roman Catholic Church told them, you've got the best life on the planet. Well, when the Crusades started, all these hundreds of thousands, if not millions of men, went to fight in the Crusades in the foreign lands of the Middle East. And when they got over there, they saw that what the Catholic Church had told them wasn't true. They brought back goods that nobody had ever seen before. They brought back silk. They brought back iron. They brought back rubber. They brought back all the animals that nobody had ever seen. And they came back, and it was very obvious that what the Roman Catholic Church had told them wasn't true. That there was a world out there that had better things, greater things that they didn't have, and all those men now had their horizons broadened, and now they had been in a foreign land, and they've seen what other people have that they don't have to a great magnitude. It changed planet Earth. Now, on a spiritual side, that, that was the seeds planted that sprung under the Reformation a couple hundred years later. That time in history, in secular history, is called the Renaissance. We have a festival up here that has nothing to do with what happened in history uh, up here in Kansas. But it was called the Renaissance. The Renaissance means rebirth. And it was a time when the earth, Europe, was reborn in its thinking because of all the new things that had been introduced into it that they never knew existed. And it, it was a catalyst for, for Europe to explode into all the great venues of inventing and bringing things in and trade and opening up the trade routes and working in to bring all of this stuff in. It literally changed the world when they brought merchandise from afar. But oh, I think how the world was changed the day God brought his merchandise from afar. The day my Savior came down and kissed this planet with his full died on the cross and brought his merchandise from afar that was good merchandise, the merchandise of salvation. And the Bible says in Proverbs chapter 31 that you and me, the church, is like a merchant ship. She bringeth her food from afar. We have the answer to all man's problems. 
We have the fix for everything that man wants. We have the solution as God's people in his book. We have the solution to death and dying, to sickness, to pain, to heartache, to disappointment and discouragement. The answer that man has sought for since the beginning of time now come down to man through us in this word and the merchandise that God brought from afar. Those of God's people who attain the wisdom and understanding, those of God's people who have made uh, the right and good and, and, and wise investments of our time on this earth and our lives, those of God's people who have traded up and not down, who saw the true riches for what they were based on the gold, the deity of Christ and the silver, the redemption that he paid for me. Proverbs 31, 18 says, she perceiveth that her merchandise is good. She knows what she has. I know what this church has. I know what I have. Many of you know what you have. And you perceive, I perceive, that the merchandise is good. Her candle goeth not out by night. She's that light on the hill. We get 40 or 50, 100, 150, 200 with the lights on. We, the world sees it. The city sees it. The light that, that shines in the darkness of this old world, and people see it. People who have broken lives, broken marriages, broken families, and they see families and marriages that are good and wholesome and strong. They see a place where they can come and get uplifted and get the truth, and nobody will lie to them. The true light that declares that in the midst of the storm, the peace of God is real. The light that people really see and you and me, that there is a real difference between Christianity and the world. The light that guides you, guides your kids, your family. And the world sees the difference and says, I want what you have. How many times in life, I do this all the time. How many times in life have you been out someplace and you saw somebody have something that you thought, man, I'd love to have one of those. It may be a phone. If I see, I've done it many times, but to my wife's embarrassment, I'll be out there and we'll be eating someplace or out there someplace and somebody will have a, a hat that I think is really neat or they'll have a jacket that I think is really neat or they'll have a, a something, a, you know, that I think is really cool. And I'll go over and say, excuse me, I don't mean to, where did you get that? I think that's one of the coolest things in the world. Now, most people think, what are you bugging them for? Hey, if somebody came up to me while I was eating and said, man, that's the coolest thing I've ever seen. Where'd you get that? That'd be a compliment to me. That'd make me a cool guy. See, that's how I look at it. But I, how many times have you seen something and you said, man, I'd like to get that? You see the new iPhone 28 or the new this or the new plasma magnum TV and you go over to your friend's house and you say to yourself, man, I got to have one of them. We all do it. People drive up in their car and we say, man, I'd like to have that. I'd just love to have one of those. See a big old four-wheel drive come up there and if you're an outdoors man like myself, you know, you, you say, man, I'd love to have one of them. That's a man truck. Well, that's how the world had to look at your life when you have what God has given you and it works and they don't have it and you invite them to softball, volleyball, Bible study, church, have them over for something to eat, spend some time with them. They see you, see your wife, see your husband, see your kids, see your family and they go home and the Holy Spirit of God takes that and they say to themselves, I want that. The light that shineth in a dark place. I want that. 
Well, our lives should be the same way. People see what we have that we don't have to say. We don't say it. We live it. I want what they have. Young couples with a great marriage. Young family with great kids. Husbands who love and respect their wives. Wives who love and respect their husbands. God's people in their lives. The world uh, really see all the contrast between light and darkness. But it has to be real. And the great contrast between the world and what really Christianity is, is not ever what we say. We're all famous for our talking points. We're all famous. We know how to say the right thing. The problem is people see through what we say and always look at how we live. Romans 14, 7 says, No man liveth to himself and no man dieth to himself. There's always somebody watching your life. And it simply comes down to does what comes out of your mouth line up with what your life is? God's people, they have the ability by trading, making the right investments, taking the pound that God gave them, their abilities, and develop it, that they have insight, that they have the peace of God, that they have the fulfilled life, that they have and understand salvation and the assurance of salvation, and most of all, the power of God in their life. And it is really evident in every aspect of their lives. The first seven chapters in Proverbs are some of the greatest principles that you'll ever find. And they show us how to prepare for what's coming. Chapters 8 through 30. The great wisdom and understanding on man, life, and the issues of life. All to one end that you and I might get to the place in our lives of Proverbs chapter 31. That we become the virtuous woman. We become her by understanding God's wisdom, God's knowledge, and getting all of those things and learning never to be wise in our own eyes or lean to our own understanding. Let's pray. Father, we thank you and praise you for the Lord Jesus. We love you. Thank you for today and for what you've given.